Okay, let me see if this stuff is recording. I think it's picking it up. Testing one, two, one, two. Okay, hey guys, how's it going? Uh, Nosa here. Um, I know it's been long you heard my voice. Uh, I probably haven't dropped an episode for three or four weeks, which is very, very unusual for me. Um, I always prided myself in dropping like 150 episodes uh, for 150 weeks straight. But um, yeah, I mean, life has been happening, man. Uh, started a business uh, so far. Busy, busy with that. Also started a podcast group called Podbreak, which is what I want to talk about today. I just wanted to, to introduce you guys to Podbreak. Uh, for those who are follow, following us on social media, you probably already know about this. Uh, but earlier this year, in January, uh, a group of us African podcasters came together. And it was just me kind of like reaching out to, to friends of mine that I already know. Some people who are already friends of the pod, people who listeners might know, and some new people. And we got together and we formed this group called uh, Podbreak. Uh, so Podbreak, the idea behind it is African podcasters in the diaspora. Uh, so most of us are like North America, U.S., Canada. Uh, there might be, I think there's one person in China, one person in UK, uh, one person in Germany, and, you know, just African podcasting in diaspora. I think we're about 23 people now. And the idea is just, you know, coming together to network uh, as podcasters, uh, coming together to produce content together, and coming together to meet up, you know, Um yeah, that's pretty much it. You guys can get more information at podbreak.org. Uh, that's our website, um, which we need to update, I guess. And yeah, we, we come together every now and again. We produce content together. So today's episode you're actually about to listen to is a Twitter Spaces Podbreak did in collaboration with the Zambian Podcasters Hub. The Zambian Podcasters Hub is a group of Zambian podcasters on the continent and outside the continent of Africa. Um, so yeah, we came together talking about black tax. Uh, so that's a fun little thing we did a few weeks ago. Um, also earlier this year, Podbreak did, um, we did like a webinar with the Podcasting Academy talking about Podfade. Uh, we did that as well. And then around 4th of July weekend, we also met in Chicago, uh, or a few of us met in Chicago for a, like a physical retreat type of thing. Um, we have videos of all this stuff. Hopefully we can upload um, the YouTube clip so you guys can read all about that. But yeah, to summarize, Podbreak is a gathering of African podcasters in the diaspora. Uh, we're coming together to network, to produce content together, and to, you know, explore opportunities within podcasting as African podcasters. Um, so, yeah, let us know if you're an African podcaster you'd like to join. Uh, send us an email. Um, all the information is on the website. Just go to podbreak.org. That's for Podbreak on the Podbreak side. Uh, on the culture class side, uh, let me know what you think about the discussion about black tax. You know, are you in the diaspora and do you send money home regularly? If you're not in the diaspora, if you're on the continent, you know, how has black tax kind of like affected uh, you, you know, uh, positively or negatively or something? Let us know. Yeah. Uh, forgive me if, uh, you know, the podcast feed has been silent. Forgive me if I don't seem too organized. 
I just felt like, hey, you know, the the feed, the culture class feed has been gathering dust for a few weeks. I just decided to take the audio from our conversation and put it out there. Um, but yeah, as always, um, reach out uh, to culture class at cultureclasspodcast.com. Email and our social media handles. Uh, let us know what you think about pod break or what you think about this discussion. And give me ideas on how to keep this going, man, because we're, I think, about 175 episodes now, or 178. I'm looking to get into 200. Yeah, and the podcast is going to be four years old very soon. But, um, yeah, you guys enjoy the conversation. So I sent you guys invites. Um if you guys want to accept, and then this is actually the first time I'm using Twitter Spaces. So, so far, so good. If you just go to Podbreak, our most recent tweet, it has the link. So people on your timeline can know there's a space like this happening. That would be great. Let me see who's here. Oh, this is Okuchi. I... <laughs> I didn't even know who that was. Okuchi, this is not your picture, though, is it? <laughs> it's not my picture, no picture. <laughs> oh, man. In fact, now that I hear Okuchi, do you mind, do you mind hosting this P? <laughs> or maybe kicking off the host? You don't need to host the whole session. But... No, I think you're doing a great job. Like, keep, keep the host there. No, you, you know, I'm also... <laughs> You know, I'm also moderating. Like, I'm, I'm like trying to see who's on stage. You know, muting people, adding people, sending DMs, and all that stuff. It might be a good idea to double team in that regard. No pause. Hey, you, you, you're on pause, and your favorite word be that. Sure, you can make me a co-host or something. Yeah, that one there. Okay, cool. Yeah, I already speak out, so you can you can always talk. But um, yeah, once we start, I guess. All right, welcome everyone. Sorry for that breaking transmission. Someone was uh, sending me a message. Uh, I wouldn't say from what country, but uh, the person resides somewhere in Africa, and they had an issue with um, power or uh, load shedding or NEPA, depending on what part of the continent you come from. And uh, they were just asking how many minutes, cause their battery might be only able to last 30 or 40 minutes or something, but these are the issues. I think that's a Zimbabwean flag, Rara, right? That's a Zimbabwean flag, I think. Apologies if you're not Zimbabwean, but... Oh, it's a Zambian flag. Yeah. My bad, my bad. Yeah. So you've been skip, you've been skip geography classes. <laughs> no, 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 you know, sometimes I get to interact. Okay, so what country speaks Chichewa? Is it Zambia or Zimbabwe? Which language be Chihuahua? Ch- Chichewa, what, not Chihuahua, God. Coachella. <laughs> Which language is Chichewa. <laughs> Bro, <laughs> bro, don't allow them to come for you, bro. We have, <laughs> we have folks from Southern Africa on here, so. Hi, everybody. Hey, Rara, welcome, 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 welcome. Where are you? Where are you dialing in from? New York. New York, nice. <laughs> Rara from New York, welcome to the chats. 
from Zambia, but from, I'm in New York. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Zambia and New York. Okay. Yes. Uh, wow. So the, you asked a question about Chichewa. It, it's spoken in mostly in Malawi, but in some parts of Zambia, the the one that borders Malawi, they do speak Chichewa. Ah, it's in Malawian. Ah, I see. It's, but you know, because of you know people move around, so it was somehow infused into the eastern part of Zambia, which borders Malawi. Got it. Yes. It's a funny story because I used to do translation work here for the government here. So one time they had a case and that person was from Malawi and they spoke Chichewa. But I translated in Nyanja, which is Zambia, which is similar to, to Chichewa. So they actually made me do it and I did it. <laughs> so it's very similar. All Bantu languages are similar in, in some ways, yeah. Look at that. Look at that. Can yeah. you can you teach us uh, real quick? Can you teach us like hello, good morning, or something simple? Okay. So you have to say more good morning, you say more Sorry, say that one more time, please. Mwa is good good I think yeah, sorry. I think it's good morning. Mwakwabanji. Okay. <laughs> how do you say how do you say mute your mic in that language? <laughs> how do you say mute your mic? You know, like oh mute your mic. Mute your mic, yeah. How, uh, how would I say that? Sorry, 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 run it back, run it back one more time. So I think you have to say Zimiani Mike. Something Zimiani like Mike, right? Mm. So I'm going to mute myself. <laughs> mm. No, not not me myself. I'm telling somebody else that they should mute themselves. You know? Oh, okay. How do I say that? That you, if it's in Nyanja, you have to tell them if they're from Zambia, you have to tell them that Zimiani Mike. There's no Nyanja local word for Mike, I think. <laughs> oh, and, I understand. So I, I guess I would only just be saying "shut up" in, in the language. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. Ah, uh, so Zimian is kind of like quiet. Yeah. Quiet. You can even use it for for turning off the lights. Zimian light. Oh, Zimian. Okay, off yourself. Zimian. I like it. Like it. I like it. I like it. Thank you. Yeah. All right. So. Nice. Well, welcome, welcome to the to spaces, Rara. You're welcome. I'm gonna mute myself. Others can speak. Thank you. And I see Rich just joined. Rich is a fellow New Yorker. Rich, you're welcome, Richard. How's your Sunday in New York? Uh, my Sunday is great. Thanks for having me. Um, although it is. The temperature just dropped, and you know us Africans, we don't like that cold weather, so I'm struggling a little bit. Oh, man, at least uh, we can count the blessings I are far away from uh, Hurricane, uh, is it Ian? Oh, yeah. What's going on in Florida? Yeah, Hurricane Ian, that's no joke, man. I don't know how people are doing it down there. Uh, it's crazy. In fact, I was, I was flying back from Atlanta last night, and it, it I think it's, 
Ian is kind of like there, there are threats to other parts of the South as well, even beyond Florida. And you know, at the Atlanta airport, there were some delays just because they wanted to make sure that the weather would be okay and safe all through the flight. So mm-hmm. I guess that's one good thing in Africa, right? Like natural disasters aren't really a thing back home, even though we have other disasters like corruption and Poverty and all that, I mean, I mean, we, we got our own stuff here, like uh, torrential rains and and flooding and stuff like that. That's just as bad sometimes, but yeah, nothing like uh, you know this hurricane that like it just is so tall and looms over you and like blows houses away. That that's crazy. True that. True that. True that. Well, guys, welcome, welcome, welcome again. Um, this is a Twitter space for. Black tax. Um, so the interesting thing about this space is that we have a bunch of Africans living in different countries in the diaspora. We also have a bunch of Africans on the continent. So we'll be talking about black tax today, um, which I think everyone from an African household has experienced, whether it's on the receiving end or the giving end or the whatever end, you know. Um, as black people, when you're making money, you're not just making money for yourself because you have sisters, you have siblings, you might have a wife and her family, or you might have responsibilities, as they say. So uh, compared to other cultures where, you know, um, their salaries or their income is just for them, we'll be exploring kind of like what has been your personal situation. We'll be talking about black tax in different countries you know, we can extend that to dowries as well, you know, for when you're getting married and you're paying a dowry and, you know, other things like that, you know, community tax and things like that. And uh, yeah, we'll be having an interesting conversation. You know, we'll try to make it under two hours because um, I think it's 6 p.m. Central African time right now. And we don't want to keep those guys up too late. Also, someone just uh, reached out to me that, you know, her battery wouldn't last for another 40 minutes. So we want to get as much of this conversation as we possibly can. Just FYI to everyone, some housekeeping items. Um, There's a gentleman up on stage, Okuchi. Uh, He will be hosting or co-hosting or hosting, I'll say, this session and uh, feel free to, you know, indicate if you want to speak, I can bring you up on stage. Also, this space will be recorded. Um, And why it's being recorded is that this space was put together by a group called Podbreak and the Zambian Podcasters Hub. Those two groups are podcasting hubs, so there's a high possibility that, you know, um, the audio from this can be downloaded and edited and put on different podcast feeds so it's important that everyone knows that all right going on 10 15 mountain time 12 15 eastern time and 6 15 central african time all right so i guess we can go ahead and kick off the conversation that's how far now all right, there we go. Okay, you can, uh, can go ahead. And... After I ask a couple questions, I'm going to have to dip for a little bit, but I'll be back in like 20 minutes or so. Um, but has everybody here heard about Black Tax? First of all, welcome to the uh, pod break slash 
So I mean, what, what are we calling this? Like, what's the official name of this amalgamation? Africans talking black tax. That's the name of the space, but like, what's the name of the union between Zambian podcasters and Podbreak? Okay, oh. guys, welcome to Zambian Break. Um, thank you guys for joining us uh, today. Uh, but I'm curious, has, has everybody here or anybody here heard about uh, black tax? I mean, definitely, I would assume everybody knows what black tax is. And obviously, it would be interesting to hear everybody else's perspective. So I think it's the perspective that's important. I think generally people should have an understanding of what it is. Gotcha. Honestly, I didn't know. Like, I, I knew the phenomenon called black tax, but I didn't know that that was like the name. You know, you know, there's something that exists, but you don't know that there's a name for it. Um, so I only just found that out because of the, you know, um, the advertisement of this uh, uh, space. But for anybody who doesn't know who's just tapping in, black tax is basically what, like, black people in the diaspora, Africans in the diaspora, sending money uh, back home to, like, family and friends, right? So I think that's, like, the simplified um version of it but again the way that plays out for a lot of us is very different right you have the people who have ended up sending money um or voluntarily right because they think they're sending money under certain <clears throat> circumstances and it turns out that that's not what's going on and then you have people who have been a little bit more um purposeful or intentional about you know sending money to take care of things now of course doing that also comes under that circumstances like you know the feeling of obligation and some people might feel like they're being forced to do it. Some people might just take it on as a responsibility um, themselves. But um, I just want to ask you guys, like individually, you know, the speakers here, um, at what point in your life did you start participating and were you in a good place to be able to provide? Like, what was that like for you? Z Economist, you have money in your username, so I think it would be, be good for you to go first. Did he drop off or is that just me? No, no, that was somebody else. Oh, okay. Well, me, I can, uh, to kind of like um, contribute as uh, he's coming on, I can say my very first experience with black tax was when, uh, when we were eating at home. I must have been like six or seven years old. And, you know, my mom would said I should leave the meat for my younger sister. So that's that's where it all started. It's something. <laughs> I guess that's a form of black tax that started for me. But. I beg now, why do you remember me at six years old? Bruh, that was a painful <laughs> scenario, man. I was pained, bro. <laughs> <laughs> Can I jump in? I think that's really funny. That's really yes, funny. Go ahead. I think it's really funny that, um, and I, I, I mean, I, I hope I don't, I, I, uh, I don't offend, I, I don't offend you. I think it's really funny that you you consider that black tax. I think in in Zambia, if you're not from a middle-income family, that's pretty much very normal. That's very normal to to forego certain foods which can be considered luxury for your younger siblings. Um, would you mind me asking which country you're coming from? <laughs> I'm Nigerian, and you know that statement was more or less to just you know get uh, the flow of the conversation, add some humor. But there is some truths in it, you know. Um, when you grow up as a kid, you know you get introduced to different life phenomena through some funny ways sometimes, and that was just me relating to okay, that 
now you have to you have younger ones you have to take care of you're give, starting with giving them your meat and when you get older and start earning income you have to continue thinking about them and their welfare type of thing so that's that's why i said that yeah, I know that now Nosa is telling us about how he's changing rooms as he's speaking on the space, you know, because apparently he has a mansion in the mountains somewhere. Um, but growing up, Nosa didn't exactly have a silver spoon, you know. Um, I think when they were growing up, Nosa and, you know, I think this is a safe space to share the story. Um, Nosa's parents would sprinkle peanuts in their food and tell them it was little pieces of meat just to get them to, to eat, you know, so... Um, He's, uh, he's so great that he put this together because, you know, he's somebody that can speak to those kind of experiences first and foremost. So shout out to you, Nosa. Can I jump in as well? Please feel free to jump in. Thanks. Uh, just to share my earliest memory of uh, Black Tax by what definition it is. Um, I remember as way back, as young as perhaps six, seven, from the time we started living with my paternal grandmother but my father used to send money across borders to his siblings in another country and to my mom's mother every cold season he'd buy her blankets sweaters so it, it seemed like a natural part of our upbringing such that uh, when I grew up as well I, I, I started doing that without thinking about it it's only now when my my daughter, who is she's a late nineties girl, who opened up the black tax topic with me, and that's when I started thinking about it and seeing that okay, this is what it really is, but still that doesn't take away um, my cultural socialization or the need to to still pay black tax. So I joined uh, today's space just to hear from what others uh, others' experiences and how they are looking at taking it going forward. Yeah, I think I'll jump in on that as well. So yeah, I mean, I have a similar experience when talking about um, you know seeing my parents sort of provide for their siblings, um, you know, because we uh, moved abroad at a pretty early age, and so my mom especially coming from a big family i think there were eight of them in total and you know being one of the few that had the privilege of working abroad that placed a huge responsibility on her shoulders to sort of not just provide for our nuclear family but also the extended family and to send money home and even not just money but you know being uh, to, to ship goods home as well, you know, because it's like certain things you can't get back home. And, you know, the way that also impacted myself and my brothers as children is, you know, that we were always being told, you know, there are certain activities, certain things that we couldn't have as a result, you know, like you are not like the rest of your friends, just pay attention to that, you know, you come from somewhere else, you can't have certain clothes you can't you know participate in certain after school activities because it costs money you know and the the food that we eat you get used to eating the same thing over and over again so you know in a in a sort of way that was my little introduction into all of that oh nice and for context um just um before anyone speaks uh, i guess um it would make sense to to say what country you're affiliated with because we might be 
speaking about different cultural nuances so just people understand that oh this is how it goes on in the eastern africa western africa or southern africa um so um rich uh what country were your parents from and susan uh where are you from as well so we just have context on you know your introduction to black tack yeah so bo both of my parents are from ghana uh, but both of my parents are from Malawi and uh, they moved to Zambia early. So we grew up and were raised in Zambia. And so we've continued to send money to Malawi even now, up to now. Just to speak on the impact it's had on my family. Uh, aside from uh, being deprived of certain things, which uh, I, I didn't even realize at the time that we were deprived because I think my father tried very much to, to give us uh, some extras. I think the positive side of things is that uh, other family members who were not uh, well off were assisted and were able to to have a better life. Some have even mm. gone on to do much better in life, which would not have been possible for them had that support not been provided. Um, so I, I I think it's a good thing. And I'd I'd continue to still do it, given that I'm able to spare some extra some cash from what I have. I mean, whatever it is that one has should still be able to to spare a little to help those that may not be able to make it on their own. Sharing is caring, most definitely. Um, different people might have different opinions depending on what family they come from. Uh, one question I want to ask: Is there anyone here? who grew up with someone not part of their immediate family. So let's say a cousin or an uncle or a family friend was living with you and that was kind of like your parents treating them as their child and helping raise them, pay their fees, feed them, even though their parents are not there at the time. Is there anyone that grew up in that type of situation? Um, yeah. uh, hello, everybody. My name is George. Um, don't mind my handle. Uh, I think I grew up in a very large family that believed in somehow relating to black tax. Um, I think I could be an example of um, the aspect of black tax because my my parents died when I was of a very young. Sorry, age. George, where are you from, George? Oh, sorry, I'm from Zambia. Sorry, <laughs> I'm from Zambia. So my parents died when I was quite young. Um, my mom's side of the family basically took my our savings and I think my dad didn't I can't remember my dad's savings but my father's sisters raised me um, till to this day they've helped in providing for me and whatever I need they've, they've constantly given me the help that I that I that I need so from that's from that perspective, I've also seen them help so many people, sending them money um, on a regular basis, trying to help as many people as they as they can. Even though I've seen them do the black tax um, situation over the years, they have also admitted to me to say, look, if you feel like helping those that you can help along the way, go ahead. But if you feel there are those people that you can't help, rather than waste your money, uh, use it for something else. Because I think for them, the regret has always been they used to send people 
or they send money to people on a daily basis, hoping they would um, reach a certain status and also help out. But at the end, they've just ended up disappointing my parents. So even though they believe in the black tax principle, at the end of the day, I think they are, they do hold some regret, but they don't hold regret over me because I think I'm, I'm an exception. <laughs> so yeah, I have seen it in both its advantages and its disadvantages because from, from my side, they've really helped me so much. They've paid for my fees which um, was not an obligation on them, but they took it upon themselves. They paid for my university. They also paid for my, what we call um, Ziali here, which is the Zambia Institute of Advanced Legal Education, more like you going to the bar so that you can pass your exams. They paid the full amount for me and they are currently still helping me as we speak whilst I'm still looking for a job and yeah i think i might have been a product of black tax if that's a correct word uh george let me ask you this question do you feel obligated to pay that forward um was it imposed on you that hey we've done this for you and you have to pay it forward or there's some type of uh unofficial feeling of you just knowing that oh you have to help out others since um, you were helped in that way growing up I don't think there's any pressure on that has been put on me by my parents. Um, I've just taken it upon myself to also help my my fellow my fellow siblings and those that I can help. And it's something that my parents have also um, instilled in me to say, if you have the money, do help. But if you don't have it, don't stress yourself to the point where you will have to deprive yourself of what you need. So I think it's out of my own goodwill and out of my heart that I would want to help. And that's one of the, the many things I like about my parents because even though they did help people, they, have, they tend, they've, they've changed to be more liberal and have been able to accept that we're in a new generation and they've been able to also incorporate our, what we bring to the table as well to say, look, we can only help someone who is closer to us in this situation, we can't help people forever. So, and I think right. at the end of the day, yeah, it's, it's more of a me thing rather than them forcing me to say, oh, you need to pay your uncle's bills at the end of the month. They'll just basically ask you, can you afford to help your uncle? If not, it's fine. Someone else will do it. Yeah. Got it. And I don't know if Wuchi is still here. I know he said he had to drop off in like 20 minutes. If it's still here, I can hand off the hosting responsibilities to him. Uh, but if not, uh, for those of us who just joined, we're still in the early stages of the conversation. So our first two questions were, what was your earliest memory or introduction to black tax? And did you grow up in a situation where, you know, you grew up with people who are not members of your immediate family that maybe you had cousins, nephews living with you, or you were a cousin living with someone else? And someone mentioned that their first experience with black tax was when they were six years old and their mom said they had to leave the meat to their younger sister. And uh, George, who just spoke, said, you know, he grew up with, you know, his mom's sisters and other family members 
who took care of him as well. So if anyone wants to contribute to that before we move on to the next stage of questioning, uh, you can give, okay, I see Rara raising up their hand. So Rara. Hi, <clears throat> I did speak earlier for people that just joined. I'm from Zambia and my parents also, both of them are Zambians. So um, the question I'm answering to is the first experience with black tax. For me, I might be maybe the oldest person in this group. Um, like, yeah, so our parents, my parents were both not educated, but they grew up in a time of colonialism when my, my father had to move from the village to go look for work in the mines and sent for my mother. So they just had, when they got there, there was, a, I think, a program where they did a little bit of reading and writing. My father went a little bit further. And they used to have children, you know, just that they didn't, they didn't have a limit. So we were, I come from a big family, and I'm one of the youngest children. So what happened was, that's my first experience with black tax. So what happened was, when I was in my fourth grade, my older sister was married in another town. So my mother sent me to go, that's how they did it. When they raised the children, when they were old enough to have their own lives. So the youngest children were helped, uh, they helped raise, you know, they helped their parents by ra raising their, you know, their youngest children. So in, in, in to answer the question of, uh, uh, I, I feel like it's a generational thing. Everybody who lives in Africa have, have a experience with that where your parents help or your siblings help you so for me it, it it's it just I think in the long run if you if you help too much financially I've been thinking about my own retirement and I find myself still helping people that their parents were there for me you kind of feel bad it's a pay forward is it is it do they call it pay forward you pay forward and hoping that that person will turn out to be like you and maybe will help another person. You don't expect anything from them. You just want them to be good and be able to pay forward as well. But I look at, um, I live in, I'm in diaspora, but uh, these are things that I read or just happening in my own family. I feel like children, today's children don't know, don't realize that, that, that somebody's helping you, you to be productive enough or have a job and then help someone else. I don't see that in this generation of children being raised today. So that's a, a little bit of a concern. It could be just in my own family. I don't know about others if they, they've seen that. And we, we are different. We were raised different, differently and like almost like being reminded, not really, that we are doing this for you so you can also be good to others. I think that's my contribution. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much, Rara, for that contribution. Uh, I'm just going to read out something from Chulu. Uh, she texted, Chulu is Zambian, and she's the founder of the Zambian Podcasters Hub. She's listening in on this, but she had texted me on WhatsApp that uh, black tax is not only about sending money home from the diaspora, and I totally agree. Even if you're on the continent, if you're sending money home to people in the village, like I said, if you're taking uh, you know, extended family in and, you know, helping raise them, you know, there are many forms of black tax, you know, and I guess that can spiral into my next question. So black tax is a mostly informal type of phenomenon, but there are a little more semi-formal 
types of black tax. And I'm going to give examples, right? So I'm from southern Nigeria. I'm from a place called Edo State, from the Benin Kingdom. And there's this um, custom, I would say, or tradition in some parts of where I'm from, where the entirety of your very first income must be presented to your father right? So if you got out of the school, let's say you're 21, 22 years old, you just got out of school, you got your very first job, and you paid your very first salary, or you're a businessman who just sold his very first wares and got his very first revenue, you're supposed to take that money physically, travel back home, kneel down in front of your father and present that to him. Some fathers might take it all. Some fathers might just, you know, take one note and say, go my son with the rest. But it's supposed to be like a form of tribute. So everything else, all the works of your hands will continue to prosper because your very first source of income was presented to your father. So that's kind of like a semi-formal way. Uh, Also in Eastern Nigeria, there's something called the Igbo apprenticeship system where when you, it is mostly used by businessmen that um, when you're, you want to go into a business, let's say you want to go into auto manufacturing, right? You go to an auto manufacturer and intern for that person for seven years, be an apprentice for seven years. When you intern for seven years without getting paid, in your seventh year, that person builds you a shop, buys you your first inventory and introduces you to the night, to the network you need to know. And that's his form of like, Thank you for working for me for seven years. So we have those type of semi-formal type of black tax that, oh, it's not just about raising that. This is a defined custom. So I'll be happy to hear from everyone here. Do you guys have like that type of semi-formal custom? Some dowries might be included, but something like that where it means, oh, you have to, the tradition says you must part with this when this event happens in your life. First of all, let me say that if my father takes, you know, the entirety of my first check, uh, I'll question his love for me because <laughs> why, why, why would you do that? You know, um, but yes, there, there are these like traditions and customs. And honestly, if I was from a do state, I'd probably wait till like my third paycheck and then like, you know, come and humbly kneel down just in case of in case it is, you know, but um. It's uh, it's just another one of those things. But I... Yeah, I mean, uh, th- I may be out of place here because I'm not as familiar as the customs, but just with the customs, but just to get the conversation going. I mean, I didn't go through this process, but I know that this process still very much happens. And, uh, you know, my mom is the matriarch of our family in Ghana. Um, and so... We, in, in our tribe, the Fanti tribe, we take after the mother's side of the family. So at some point, you know, you have the matriarch of the family. And so at one point, and this I'm speaking to the marriage customs now, so things like the dowry. So by all means, you know, if you are getting married, it's like you there's the traditional wedding that happens, and then there's the 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 sort of Christian. Uh, westernized wedding that happens later on, but the traditional wedding, which is sort of the engagement, you know, it's the one of those things where, and I'm sure most of you have similar customs where you you go to the the other person's house, your whole family, the the nuclear family, and you know you typically 
packed a suitcase full of things that you are going to present that are indicative of your tribe and also of your status. Um, and so, you know, for in, in art, the way we've done it, at least, or that I've seen it done is, you know, my mom will go representing somebody on our side of the family as the matriarch. And usually the extended family has chipped in either it's monies or it's like kente cloths or like some gold necklaces and earrings and things like that. So, you know, we are fortunate that we, we've created in a, a situation where it's the extended family's contribution to this one person's uh, wedding ceremony. So that burden gets shared amongst a lot of people versus there are some situations where it, that, that burden is just placed on the one family. And, you know, that can be very difficult. So then sometimes, uh, you know, depending on your stature in the society, you know, if you're not that well off, maybe like you're a farmer or something like that, you know, you may not be able to present all this gold and, you know, expensive cloths and whatnot. So maybe you're presenting a goat, cow or something like that. Um, I will say, I feel like that, um, that those traditions are dying a little bit, but I still do see it happening. And so, you know, it, it is very challenging on certain families because it's like, you know, you, you can never expect when a wedding is going to happen. You know, you can try and plan for it, but sometimes circumstances are such that you're not prepared for it. So to be able to pull all these resources together in a short amount of time can be very taxing on the family. So I know that in a semi-traditional sort of way that that still happens. Rich, you were saying something about, um, you know, a, a suitcase full of items. Um, in your tradition, would uh, would the, a dozen boiled eggs be, you know, one of such, such uh, be one of such items, or is that not a thing? Um, in in the Fanti culture, the Fanti tribe, no, that's not necessarily a thing. I have heard of that happening in one of the other tribes in Ghana, but that's not our thing. Okay, okay, because we uh we had a Ghanaian friend of ours come on the pod uh, at one point in time, and the way he said it, the way he was talking about boiled egg, you would have thought the first president of Ghana <laughs> boiled egg. You know, he said <laughs> he, he said during birthdays, you know, they present boiled eggs. He said if you if you do good on your report card, the, your, your dad gives gives you a boiled egg. You know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Ghanaians are not boiled eggs. <laughs> Boiled egg and everything. I mean, I, I don't know the origins of that, but I, I do know there is, you know, you could you could you could even trace some of it back to like if you're talking about um in a wedding scenario, maybe it has something to do with like fertility and things like that. But I don't know the origins of that, honestly. <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, can, can it can it be an omelet or something? <laughs> omelet. <laughs> no, no, no. Only boiled eggs, please. <laughs> Uh, I want to ask you guys, right? Uh, oh, I'm sorry, Kuchi. Sorry, Kuchi. Before you go ahead, uh, let me just uh, someone. Let me just read out some messages. Uh, sorry about that. Uh, so Walusungu, shout out to Walusungu, tuning in all the way from China. I think it must be like 3 a.m. or something in China. So thank you so much. We know you can't stay on for long. Thank you so much. And Chulu, also your message that the first check is also a Zambian tradition as well, that you present your first check. That's interesting to know. And then one more person DM'd me and said, 
if they were to present their first check to their father, they are going to drive Uber. So their first check will be $10 or $5 or something small. And then they go on to get the real work. So you can see how Gen Z already hacking the system, but you can go ahead with your, with your question quickly. Wow, I thought I was bad. That person has to do drive ten dollar Uber and give to Jafada. That's that's uh that's something. Um I wanted to ask this question to both the single and uh, the married folks uh that are in this space, right? So what kind of obligation, especially the men too, but it's open for the women as well. What kind of obligation um do you guys expect to have towards your your spouses um or your partner's siblings, right? Because in Nigerian it just within Nigerian society, you have situations where it's like, you know, the woman will tell the man, you know, if you're marrying me, you're marrying my family too, in, in the sense that the burdens of her younger siblings or whatever, paying for school fees or whatever, or her parents like, become his own in addition to taking care of his own family. Um, but what, what for the married people, what, what was that like? You know, did you have to, did you find yourself having to carry that burden um, of your partner's family? And for the people who are yet to get married, is that a situation that you're opening to handling? Um, I guess since no one's going, I'll, I'll speak again first. This is Rich from Ghana. Um, so it's not so much formalized in our culture um, and in my tribe, but it's it's an expectation, right? So it's as a married person myself, it's the understanding is, and, and I think it's more to do with um, your 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 age and where you fall in the standing, right? So if, for example, you know, you are the oldest son marrying, I don't know, maybe the oldest daughter of another family. Yeah, the expectation is that all the siblings on both sides are fall under your purview of like responsibility if they happen to need help. Everyone's going to look up to the elders, you know? And so there is that informal uh, informal, sorry, expectation. And, you know, typically it's also the oldest or the most successful who tend to get married sooner or before the other ones. So everybody is sort of, you're, you're sort of like the supervisor, the, the, the person that everyone looks up to for guidance and things like that. So it's not just a monetary uh, responsibility. It's also a spiritual and, you know, moral, ethical, everything like that. That's uh, that's uh, I think that that's uh, common across most African cultures, I would say. And uh, I don't know how many people consider this, but I know in Nigeria, those are things like uh, if you're going to tell your friends, oh, I'm getting married, those are the type of questions they ask you. Oh, is she the first daughter? Are you sure you're ready for this? All that type of thing, just so that you totally understand what you're getting yourself into. Because if, like Okuchi said, um, you don't marry someone, you marry their family, pretty much. And that comes with some responsibilities financially or otherwise. So, well, uh, since nobody answered the first question, let me ask it on a more casual note, right? So since we're talking about tradition, in Nigeria, there's this tradition that Nigerian women have, right? Where, um, say, a guy is, you know, is asking a woman out on a date. She might pull up to the date with one or two of her friends. Um, and, of course, expect that the man will pay uh the bill or the tap cover the tap for her and her friends alike um i want to ask the fellows in the room have you ever been interested enough in, in a woman to to do that uh since we're talking about black tax and obviously you know 
black tax comes in different shapes and forms. Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Fortress. I'm from Zambia. Hello, I'm Fortress. Po- Hi, I'm a podcaster. Okay. <clears throat> so I actually wanted to answer the first question where you were asking about um, how it is in certain homes in terms of um, taking care of your siblings and uh, mostly family members. So I would love to come in and say, um, I feel to be honest, black tax is more like imposed on us as Africans. I don't know if it's like this in other countries, but then it's just like whenever you are the oldest in the family, everybody's looking up to you. If you're doing better, more worse, because now they are looking at what you're doing, who you're helping, how you're helping them, what kind of help you're rendering to them. And I think um, families, I, I don't know, I'll, I'll speak from my own perspective and what I've seen mostly here in Zambia. Uh, let's say I'm the firstborn and I have younger siblings. I get a very good job and I have other family members. Most definitely, they will expect me to be more like the um, breadwinner of the family. I'll have to be doing certain things, even though I'm not inclined to do them, just because I'm the oldest. And they always say that you have to, you know, look up to your oldest, look at what she's doing, look at what she's not doing. And the comparison actually, you know, mentally drains us, to be honest. I was raised by my grandmother and I I would say on a black tax perspective, she used to be the one always doing everything for everybody. Um, she was the one working. So everybody would come through to say, no, I'm asking for this much. I want this money. And I would see how mentally she would be drained because we used to live together just the two of us and she would not complain and there are certain things that she would say you know what I can't afford this you know what I can't afford this because I have to help this person and this is why I feel black tax is a problem like we as Africans we need to teach these young people that are coming to say you need to fend for yourself in case I die in case something happens to me I don't need to be a pillar that you need to, um, not that in a bad way, but then you need to find a way to resolve this uh, financial thing because it's always inclined to the financial aspect of everything. So I don't know if I've answered your question. Thank you. Wow, I see why your name is Fortress. That was a very strong uh, response. I I appreciate you um, answering the question and also added a lot of perspective as well. Thank you very much. Uh, someone just DM'd me uh, saying regarding weddings and relationships um, that black tax also affects the friendship situation. And this was a female DMing me saying that when her friends get married, they require her to contribute and buy, you know, materials or, you know, contribute to the bridal train or contribute. And she's had multiple friends get married and she's tired of paying money every time one of her friends get married so i don't know i don't think guys really go through that we really ask our groomsmen to contribute per se maybe casually but 
it might be a big thing with ladies. So ladies, if you want to talk about that as well. The economist has something to say real quick before we move on to that side. Uh, can I come in? Yeah, I think, uh, sorry, are you are you on Economist? Oh, or yes. Fortress sir. Can, okay, yeah, Fortress, after Economist, you can go ahead. Well, well I to say, if when I think about black tax, I don't know if it's, uh, well, I don't think it's only a, a phenomenon here in Africa, but we, I think it's just part of the complete global south, right? Because this same issue is true for India as well. So I think uh, I look at black tax as a, sim as a symptom, personally, of so many other issues that have gone wrong in the management of our uh, economies here. So my, my, my question is, shouldn't we, shouldn't we be looking at ways in which we can mitigate it or ways in which we can begin as families maybe to contribute for the sole purpose of someone's independence rather than uh, contributing, for example, for things that are just expenses like weddings. Uh, many times here in Africa, I don't know if everybody has the same experience, it's very easy to get like contributions for a coffin. Um, I don't know if we could consider that as part of the black tax as well. Most of us, uh, we don't plan for our own funerals. So if I die today, uh, most likely my family has to contribute for my coffin. And so I was wondering is that, is it a two, is it a twofold thing? Is our lack of planning contributing to exaggerating the black tax pro problem? Okay, Fortress, you can go ahead. Uh, maybe we can comment on, on his uh, comment. Thank you very much. Um, first, I would also love to um, thank you for raising that um, point that you just raised earlier. It is so embarrassing that when parents pass on, we don't plan for funerals. We do plan for birthdays. But it's so embarrassing that your parents or probably your guardian, the only thing they left you was probably a name or a national registration card, something like that. It's so embarrassing. And we as um, peers, we need to think about the future. I love how certain cultures always want um, I don't know if it's called the caste system, if if I'm not mistaken, of keeping um, wealth in the family so that even future generations might benefit from it. I think the problem we have as Africans is when I have a 5,000 US dollars, I would want to spend that money to show other people that I'm doing better than them. It's a few of them that might think of investing, multiplying that money so that um, you don't know where you're going. Future granddaughters, future grandsons may benefit from that money. But this is a problem that we have. If I have so much money, I don't know where to take it. I'm not going to think about investing that money. I won't think about who's going to benefit from that money. I'll think about who I'm going to show, I'm going to buy the Rolex, the expensive cars, the expensive shoes. Not, on, not that I'm uh, saying you should not buy those things for yourself. Yes, you can. But then 
we need to think about investment more oftenly um, so that future generations might benefit from it. And going back to the question where um, she raised to say, we as women, we have this mentality that a man should take care of me. Not that it's wrong, but as a woman, you also need to use your own brain. You need to use your own hands. You need to use your own legs because you are given to that by God. And this attitude makes a lot of us women look weak. We are busy fighting for equal rights to say we want equal pay, equal treatment. But then we are out there saying, no, a man should do this for me. A man should do that for me. When you go out as girls, definitely we are going to probably put together, if it's a 1,000, this one is going to put together 250. This one is going to put together a 300. Like, why can't just one person say, hey, girls, I'm going to take you out. Um, the mentality that I've seen in most girls, most young women, uh, not to use a derogatory term, is that they want a man to do everything for them. And then you as a woman, where do you stand? How are you going to build a relationship like that if you're going to be thinking about a man needs to do this, a man needs to do that? Um, I think we need, also need to change that mindset because definitely it's a few of women that might say, hey, um, I like you. Uh, we, we can go on a date. Can I take you on a date? It's very few of them because mostly it's a man should the one taking a woman on a date. But then if a woman takes a man on a date, it's another story. It's another conversation. People are going to be saying like, why is it like that? Um, it doesn't even make sense. So yeah, um, anyway, maybe I'm deriving from, from, from the term, but yeah, that's what I feel. I feel we need to start looking at solutions and how we can resolve this. Thank you. Uh, Rich, I see you raising your hand. Uh, I don't know if you have a question or comments, um, but thank you, Fortress, for that. Um, if, uh, Rich, you or other people speaking, if you can also touch on what Zambian economists said about, hey, we lack certain things in our system as far as, you know, savings, culture. I think Chulu mentioned insurance, culture, you know, inherit proper estate planning and things like that. Those are the things that or lack of things are contributing to black tax. If you want to touch on that a little bit, then, then go ahead and ask your question. That would be great. Yeah, no, I, it wasn't a question. I, I did want to respond to that. And, you know, it's, I feel like Fortress is a hard act to follow because she was making some really strong points there, all very important. And yes, we do definitely need solutions for all of those issues. Um, so to touch a bit on that and also to touch a little bit on what Zamb uh, the economist was saying, you, you know, one of the I'm going to use my personal experience to kind of talk through some of these issues a little bit. And maybe I'm talking a little bit too personally. You know, we don't like putting our personal business out there, but I think it's worthwhile for this conversation. You know, I, I feel extremely privileged, to be honest. Uh, so sometimes I feel like I should not, you know, have a platform to speak on some of these things because um, while I'm from Ghana, I live in the United States. Um, my parents used to live here at some point and they moved back to Ghana because they wanted, you know, their their typical, you know, quality of life that they're used to. And they were just overworked and stressed out living in the U.S. and they wanted to move back. 
the the trying the challenge with that is that you know there are so many issues back home um like some of these issues that we're talking about where now it's like they they need to be supported right and so that responsibility falls on the children and to be honest i have no issue with that like my parents worked hard to afford us the life that me and my brothers live um, and so now I feel good and I feel like it's my obligation to reciprocate that. Um, the thing that was lacking in our experience growing up and in the, the cultural conversations that we're having are these topics of uh, education around financial literacy, around estate planning, and just around this whole conversation about generational wealth and like leaving a lasting legacy so that your children aren't burdened. Um, and, you know, so to some of the points that I was hearing, like I had to learn on my own, like how to save money, like what it, what it meant to save money because my parents didn't really save money. It's like whatever came in went out, right? So how to save money, how to handle your finances, how to, you know, get insurance for things that matter, whether it's your property, whether it's your health, you know, whether it's your car, whatever it is get insurance that's a form of protection you know there there it's like it comes at a premium yes and some people aren't able to afford these things but they it, there are protections that help you in the long run so that you aren't in a situation where you're financially crippled and things like that and then you have to rely on other people so you know whenever i think about this black tax conversation a lot of it comes down to Okay, where did we begin? Because in Ghana, for example, when I was growing up, you know, the, what I heard a lot from my parents was, you are an investment, right? My parents were saying that I was their investment. So by them giving me the education, you know, affording me clothes, affording me travel, all these other things that they were expecting down the road that I would then reciprocate. And as I said at the beginning, I, now I have no issue doing that, right? But also, they there was no planning on their part for any sort of protections or buffers for themselves. And so, you know, that leaves people in, open to very challenging situations. Meanwhile, as one of the other people said, you know, there are events like funerals happening, birthdays happening, weddings happening. And, you know, we love to do those things big. And sometimes, you know, you don't even plan for all the people that are going to come, you know, so-and-so's brother's cousin's friend is going to show up that wasn't on the list, you know? And so you wanted a, a gathering, an event of like, I don't know, maybe 50 people, you end up with 200, right? And then you're, you need to shoulder that responsibility. And, you know, so it's it's very present-minded and not very future-minded, right? So it, it's, we need to talk about, we need to teach people about, like, money, what it stands for, how to use it, how to save it, how to acquire more, how to, you know, invest it, right, in, in tons of different things. And I understand that one of the biggest challenges, as someone was alluding to earlier, is that back home, there aren't really the infrastructural resources to support these things. Like maybe they're starting to come about now, but like, you know, how, how does somebody learn how to invest in the stock market? How does somebody learn how to invest in real estate? You know, because those are all income generating opportunities that then can be built into 
you know, your your uh, estate planning, your funeral planning, how you pass on your what you own, your assets to your the next generation. Um, but we don't talk about any of that, and people don't have a full understanding of that. So, you know, that's really the tax here. We are crippling ourselves, and we're crippling the next generation by not educating ourselves on what we need to be doing now. That's a very, I think Prince is raising up his or her hand and oh, is it Prince or Princess? I'm sorry, Princess. Uh, I'll give you the chance to speak shortly, but that's a very profound point, uh, Rich, because like you mentioned, I think it was Susan who was talking earlier. She said, hey, she learned this from her parents that, hey, you just have to provide for family and younger ones and friends. And if parents can teach the acts of black tax, why can't they teach the act of savings and investment? Because it all starts from the home, right? Like the government is not going to come. Um, Prince, I'm going to give you uh, a chance to speak, but let me just throw one question out there. You can decide to speak on previous answers, comments, or answer this question. So Nancy uh, Sissi uh, from Concrete Pastures podcast, uh, she just sent me a DM. And everyone, feel free to send me DMs as well um, if you, you know you're you're not speaking yet. And she said sometimes, uh, or let me just summarize, sometimes people also put pressure on themselves about black tax. That hey, sometimes yes, the society requires that as a firstborn you do this, or when you're getting married you do that. But some people just because maybe they had a good job five years ago and they're in a certain standing in their family, they always try to rise up to the occasion, even though they are not as economically or financially buoyant as they were five years ago. And they'll say, oh, my family has always known me to be the one to buy the cow at Christmas. I can't stop this year. I'll look bad. And they put that pressure on themselves. That's what Nancy said, that sometimes it's easier to just say, hey, I do not have, or this is the limit to which I can go. I cannot do it right now. But that's very difficult. I can see how that can be very difficult for Africans to be honest in that way, to say, I do not have. So uh, Princess, you can go ahead and speak. And I think Bidemi wanted to speak. And then after Bidemi, we go back to Zambian economists. So Princess, Bidemi, and Zambian economists. Hi, everyone. Um, my name is Zoe. I'm from Zambia. So it's my first time using Twitter spaces. So I had no idea how to <laughs> navigate. So this is when I finally saw how to raise my hand. Um, anyway, uh, for me, Black Tax is a... I think it's an obligation, um, and that's why they call it tax, because with tax, you can't avoid it. Um, yeah, I, my, I grew up in Botswana with my parents. Both my parents are Zambian, but they moved to Botswana, so I was born and raised there. Um, we had multiple... My mom is the firstborn. All her siblings, she has 12 siblings, all of them came to get educated in Botswana, but they haven't done anything with their lives. And now my mom is educating their children. Um, so, um, I think for my mom, she's heavily invested in black tax. And I think like someone else mentioned that, you know, some opportunities that you should have as a child, you end up not having because the money is going somewhere else. So for me, it, um, it kind of brought up a bit of resentment towards cousins or, um, aunties because I'm like, I should have had this opportunity, um, but I haven't. Um, so that, that's been my experience, but I, 
I'm currently um, helping out as well um, through marriage. I don't necessarily help my 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 parents' family, um, their relatives. I am helping more of my my husband's family right now. So that's that's the situation I'm in right now, and I feel like, yeah, it it does feel good to help. Um, so I'm, I try to remind myself not to call it black tax because tax just just that word <laughs> tax makes it negative, so to say. But yeah, um, when Rich was speaking, I could totally um, agree. I think also with African parents, they don't like talking about death. They feel like if you start talking about death and start talking about life insurance policies, they it's like you want them to die, you know. So I think death usually is a is a touchy subject. I don't know why. Um, for my parents, I think they're more liberal. They're they've invested into a lot of um, life insurance and different other investments. They're um, more literate. Um, but I a lot of other aunties and stuff that I know of, which I speak to about these things. For them, they're like, no, it's fine. We know you'll take care of the coffin. We know you'll take care of this and we know you'll take care of that. So, um, yeah, I think a lot of awareness needs to needs to happen where we educate um, our people financially and really make sure that whatever black tax we are paying is an investment and is not just um, expenditure, which, which we're wasting. But I feel like, I feel like honestly, that's why as um, black people, we haven't progressed as much with regards to wealth because we spend so much money backwards instead of, you know, forwards. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I think my parents have done their part um, by, with the necessary investments so that we are not put in that situation. Um, but, yeah, I, I'm a strong advocate for financial literacy with black people so that, you know that our generation and the upcoming generation don't have to don't have to carry this burden as much so yeah thank you zoe sorry i called you princess because I, I guess that was your the name i saw here um peter me i don't know if peter me is still here uh peter me seems to have dropped off zambian economist i'll come to you in a bit let me just read some dms i have dms i have so nancy followed up with that by saying calling in a financial advisor for the whole family uh, can help educate everyone and i guess what i can attribute to what she's trying to say or what i can add to that is you know um have you tried to help your family members, instead of just giving them money, like help them come out of poverty by giving them something that might like, you know, teaching them to fish instead of giving them fish. So if you notice that, hey, you're sending money home every every month or something, you know, have you asked them to say, hey, what business can you do? Let me invest this one time so you can be self-sustaining or let me send you to school. So when you come out of school, you can get a job and be self-sustaining. And have you been met with, uh, any kind of resistance in trying to do that. Um, so Zambian economists, I guess you can answer that question and then add in your comments and then we can go from there. I think I think in Africa, if if we're being realistic, there's a there's a challenge with doing that because um, especially if you are, I'll use this term, a child of the village. When I say that, I mean a child who's been 
a beneficiary of like black tax where your uncles have paid your fees, someone has contributed for your shoes. It's very difficult because when those people uh, come at you for help, they don't come from a place of, uh, lack of a better term, they come from a place of power. They're asking you, but they are telling you to do it. So um, it would make a lot of sense to do it, but I think the power dynamic still lies with the, the power still lies with the, with the, with the people that helped a lot of um, young Africans who are working at the moment. So to come up, to look up to them and say, well, I've got $500. I'm hoping, uncle, you can start a shop in the village instead of, instead of uh, asking me for money every month. It might be taken as a really big insult. I, I'm, I'm interested to hear what other people think, but I still think in Africa to, to, to shoot up in that way would be very difficult. But I think within our, our generation, I think it's a conversation which we should really be starting to implement, where instead of paying out small amounts of money every month, if we can uh, amalgamate our funds and then invest somewhere so that it's bringing income, and then that income is what we're using to help any family members who, who lack the resources to take their children to school, or who lack resources to go to, uh, to, to college. So I think for, for the older generation, it's a very difficult conversation. I, I wonder what the other speakers think, but I think it would be very difficult. If, if I'm wearing my shoes, my own hat in my family, if I went up to someone who helped me and said, well, I don't want to give you monthly contributions. I don't want to help someone in the village, but I think I've got X amount of cash. Can we do this? I think it would then be taken with the <laughs> with the with the light-handed. Uh, um, it wouldn't be taken lightly. Okay, so yeah, I mean, I I guess Bidemi is back, so Bidemi, I sent you an invite. Uh, so yeah, anyone anyone that wants to contribute to that, that hey, have you attempted? Uh, you know, do you feel like it will just make people lazy if you keep sending money and sending money? Or you feel like, hey, if someone has helped you before or their family has helped you before and now it's time of you helping their children, you can't just say no and no, I want to set up a business that it, it will seem like an insult or, or, of some form. Like has anyone been in that type of position, you know, where you say, hey, let me support you with a specific project, instead of sending this money, and next thing you know, a village meeting was called, and you were in the middle. <laughs> you were in the middle of that type of thing. So, uh, anyone can comment on that. Uh, while people are, are, you know, sending me DMs and all that, let me just refresh the room by saying, um, this is uh, Twitter Spaces. My name is Nosa, and this is a Twitter Spaces a collaboration by Podbreak. Podbreak is a collective of African podcasters in the diaspora and the Zambian Podcasters Hub. Zambian Podcasters Hub is a collective of Zambians on the continent and in the diaspora. So we're coming here today to talk about black tax. We've talked about, for those just joining, talked about your earliest memories of black tax, where someone said when they were six years old, uh, it was their mom telling them to give their meats in the food to their younger sister. And we've talked about, you know, how black tax works in relationships and marriage. 
where some when you're marrying into a woman's family or a man's family you're not just marrying them you're marrying into their family as well and we've talked about how you know the systemic issues like you know lack of savings culture insurance you know estate planning contribute to black tax right because people are just spending 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 they are not planning right so those are the issues right now Right now, we can further the conversation by talking about, <laughs> this might be slightly controversial, but shout out to Chulu for hinting at this, uh, religious tax, right? So black tax mostly comes uh, family, right? So you have to take care of siblings, extended family. There's also the issue of religious tax, right? Tithing, you know, for those of us that are Christians or, you know, those of us part of other religions, uh, you know, requiring that, hey, you bring something to the pastor or Thanksgiving or, you know, always giving, 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 giving to the church or to the mosque or something like that. So I guess that can also be considered a form of black tax. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if anyone here was raised by a religious organization. You know, sometimes some churches have uh, you know, nonprofits where they help raise kids and those kids give back to the church. Or even if you are not raised, have you been in a situation where you spend so much money on religious tax? That would be an interesting perspective. Uh, you can send me a DM. You can raise your hands if you want to speak. Or if you're a speaker already, you can contribute to this conversation. Okay. Um, I think I can comment on the religious tax. I read, I, I love reading and I think I love uh, watching too many things. So I, I read somewhere where somebody put across a point to say religion is Africa's downfall. Not that I'm trying to be controversial. There are certain things that do not need to be associated with religion. But you will find that somebody who is lazy enough, the only explanation they will give you is, I will leave it in God's hands. God is going to take care of everything. God will bless me. Even the Bible says God helps those who help themselves. I'm a Christian by religion. But then what is happening now in my country? I don't know if it's happening across Africa. We are seeing these prophets as they claim some of them fake some of them real you will see that the prophet i have a friend actually and i i don't just understand um maybe i'll talk about it later but um the type of church the prophet to say he's well to do he drives a range rover and he always preaches about tithe. Give 10% of uh, your wealth to God and you'll be blessed. Give 10% of your wealth to God and you'll be blessed. That, that is his preaching point every Sunday. Give tithe, give tithe, give tithe. And we see this happen. It has become more like a business than it is supposed to be a church. I feel a church is where people come together for a common purpose, which is God in this uh, in this case. But then here in Africa, we are seeing them, a whole lot of them. They are benefiting from their followers to preach about tithes or about giving. While he's driving a Range Rover, while he's driving a Mercedes-Benz, his followers are walking from 
let's say five miles and he doesn't even care. No, you'll be blessed. You'll be blessed. You'll be blessed. And they will fall back to say, no, we have to listen to him because he's a man of God. They don't even know if he's the true man of God or if he's not. And these churches have become so rampant. And um, I don't know if I was reading somewhere. Uh, I don't know if it's Kenya uh, or Uganda or Rwanda. The president said that they have to have a license or they have to be a reverend practitioner practice they have to have a theological degree of some sort for them to operate a church and i feel that's the thing because um any jim and jack who feels he can scam people nowadays thinks he can open a church and tell people to keep giving tithe keep giving tithe keep giving tithe or they'll be cursed or uh, things will go bad in their lives if they don't do that. We are just enriching these churches and these prophets, these fake prophets that come in the name of God to say, I'm true, I'm real. Um, all you have to do is give uh, God um, a little something. And, and I've seen it happen. It's reached a point where somebody was, uh, uh, an acquaintance of mine was explaining that she had a certain situation. So she went to a church to say, no, I want to be prayed for. Um, I need healing and deliverance. And she went there. The man upon him finishing whatever they were doing, um, which was, she was being prayed for. She was said, she, she, she was told that she had to give a token of appreciation. I don't understand if that actually even works. So, yeah, I think churches and tithe giving these days, they are not marrying. And I, I, I don't understand, to be honest. Yeah, religion is the opium of the masses, Karl Marx. Someone DM'd me that. Uh, I see people here who haven't spoken. Lady B. I'm intrigued. Your profile says you're a Pan-Africanist and you have almost nine or 10 Pan-African flags on your profile. So it would be nice to hear your perspective. Uh, I think it's Tolani, Mo. Oh, Mo, welcome Mo. Uh, Mo Sibyl is here. Uh, she joined Poly Break yesterday. Uh, Bidemi is here as well. And Little Miss Love, Little Miss I Love Money, Olivia, I think. Okay, there we go. Um, if you guys want to speak, speak, let me know. I'll be more than happy to add you. But um, yeah, on the case of religious tax, uh, you know, what do you guys think? Do you think churches are bleeding people dry? Do you think churches are the only good thing, you know? since the governments in most African countries aren't working, so they need all the money they can get. Were you raised by a religious organization and do not see giving back uh, to, to religious organizations as a form of black tax? Let us know your view on why you're for or against religious tax, bracket black tax. I think I'm against um, religious tax from not my experience. Um, I don't really go to church. I have a freedom of religion. Just, just joking. But I feel from what I've seen here in Zambia and as well from what I've seen from certain documentaries I've watched from South Africa, a lot of churches are mushrooming for financial gain rather than for the purpose of um, people 
coming to church, praying and encouraging one another and finding solutions. A lot of pastors in the manner that in the manner they dress, the lifestyles they live are of a questionable nature. And I think this is one thing my mom was, I don't know when she came to Zambia for some apparent reason was shouting at me. <laughs> I don't know why she was doing it, but she she noticed that a lot of African pastors have this tendency of living this VIP life. They always go to church. I think, mean, like someone said, they always want to preach about tithe, how it's important for you to always give. But are they giving back to the community when someone has a problem? How is the church helping? Why should we always want to help the church? But the church doesn't help us in return. So I think it's it's something that is being seen now as more of a financial investment for people who claim to be pastors. I mean, these papas that are around here nowadays drive expensive cars but can't help the community they want you to sow a seed where there's no no seed i mean they just take money from people each and every day and the saddest thing is that a lot of people still contribute and they continue to contribute and at the end of the day other people who are supposed to receive that money for better things are being deprived of that so I think it's something that I do not like and I wouldn't encourage. Gotcha. I wonder if there's anyone that's had a personal experience uh, when it comes to religious tax. Maybe their parents sold their only car to donate it to the church or something like that. You know, you hear stories like that. If anyone is willing to share a personal story like that, you know, you can leave your, your name anonymous if you want to share that type of story. Uh, will definitely want to hear from you uh, about that. But, so it's not all bad. Does anyone also have an example of a time that black tax went right, right? Because it's not always bad, 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 right? I remember, so I moved, I'm from Nigeria and I moved to the US uh, five or six years ago now. And I remember... Uh, the the month before I moved, or a few weeks before I moved, I went to buy a couple of a box of wine, and they had like six or a case of wine, and they had like six bottles. And I took each case to someone who had helped me uh, during my career uh, in Nigeria, because I used to work in banking sector before I traveled. So I gave one to my supervisor who I really liked. I went to give one to another of my uncles who had tried to give me my first internship and different things. I just went around just as a thank you. And I remember I was trying to track down this last guy with the last bottle of wine because he had served as a guarantor. There's this thing that Nigerian companies do before you gain employment, you know, someone has to come sign, like someone who's been working for over 10 years has to come sign for you, especially in banks, just in case anything goes wrong, like, kind of like a guarantee is a very weird practice. But anyway, I was calling and texting and look, look, where are you? Like, I have something for you and do this. Until I finally opened up and said, look, I'm traveling in two days. If I don't see you, I really want to give you this wine because I want it to be a surprise. And dude now gave me his address. Oh, yeah, 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 I'm here, I'm here, come over. And I was like, why didn't you answer me when I was trying to get in touch with you? It was like, oh, he thought something went wrong. And, you know, maybe my workplace was after him because a lot of people he signed for in the past, you know, it's really turned ugly. But I'm the first person who really 
made good of the opportunity and wow this is the first time someone is even coming back with a token that he has never seen this before so has there been like a situation where black tax went good where you actually gave someone money for something and they utilized it well and they made you proud you know that'll be let's hear some of the good things as well it can't always be negative so i can speak more to the religious conversation uh, a little bit um I, I think our generation you know were I don't want to say woke, but we are understanding of some of the dynamics in play and when it comes to these things. The other generation have this um, affixation with the church. And there's nothing wrong with being religious and having a relationship with God, but there is a very largely predatory relationship between the church and, and its members in you know in the African context. And you know, it's a worldwide thing too, but we're here speaking about black tax, um, more specifically, you know, relation to Africa. And um, you know, at the height of it all, where during the the NSAS protests in 2020, um, at a time when you one would have expected that you know the church would, uh, a lot of the major churches, your pastors would speak up about the um, maltreatment of Nigerian youth. You know, at the height of the protests for the first time in in my lifetime, I had seen like Nigerian youth like really come out in those numbers to you know fight against systematic uh, oppression. And, you know, you would have thought that, you know, with all these churches, with, the, uh, you know, the number of youth that they have in their choirs and, you know, number of youth that are, you know, that just uh, volunteer on a daily basis to any kind of outreach for the church or, you know, people that are giving their money for whatever reason, even if you're talking about youth that don't pay their offering, you are still talking about human lives here. Um, and unfortunately, I don't remember one of them actually like coming to speak out and in support of the youth at the time or even to openly condemn the government right uh, this is an institution that thrives regardless of how bad a recession is the church always is always making some kind of money right usually that means the pastor is thriving you know when these days you see pastors coming to the pulpit with a hitch belt and the hitch does not stand for heaven you know it's, it's either hugo boss or hermes right and, you know, it's like they're flexing too. Like somebody was saying, your pastor is driving a luxury car in, in a city that has bad roads and you have church members that, you know, are walking like 30 minutes plus to church. Um, so in that sense, I rarely ever see situations where the church is, is giving back or even protecting the people in the way that it should. Because even the political leaders that, you know, are oppressing the people, even though it's kind of ironic, as corrupt as they are, they still have that fear of the church as well. But you see, you know, you see these pastors like dining with them and shaking hands with them and, you know, in relationships with them, never really condemning them. Uh, and you come into church and they're telling you that anything that you want to enjoy is waiting for you in the afterlife. Like you have to die to, to enjoy your life. Um, so that's one thing that I, I think that our generation is not really buying to in the same numbers. Um, and that's, you know, I think it's slowly dying down as well. So I'm grateful, uh, definitely grateful for that part of it. Thank you. Thank you for your contribution, Okuchi. Uh, anyone wants to, I see Lady B. Oh, Lady B, you're welcome. I, you haven't spoken, so you have the floor. Hi. Hi, everybody. Um, well, glad to be here. Um, what did I want to touch on? Um, just wanted to touch a little bit on the religious black tax. Um, give me a second. I've got a small person. I can... Okay, but I'm on the. Can I'm on the phone? Can I finish? Hold on a minute. 
this is a disclaimer, guys. Feed your children before you come on this space. Hi, um, sorry. Welcome back. I'm just <laughs> right. yes, good thing we should feed them, uh, what's you call it? And Shema or Sada or Fo for something to hold them the whole day so we can space. Anyways, um um religious tax. So I haven't experienced uh religious tax in in I'm from originally from Zambia Eswatini, so I haven't experienced uh, religious black tax because I left when I was still a young person and didn't really know anything about church or anything like that. But so my experience of uh, religious tax is based on my experience of being in a church as an adult. And, uh, you know, you, I was doing the dutiful thing of where you pay 10% of your uh, your wages um, to the church and so on. And um and uh, I have a younger sister who's nine years younger than me, and um, so when she when she uh, finished high school, she needed to go to um, college, and uh, my dad could only afford so much, and um, so I thought, you know what, I will. So I was I was in between to think. Well, it was either I paid the religious tax or. I uh, supported uh, my little sister, um, so so that that is what I was uh, contending with. And in the end, I think I used my common sense. Uh, I think I don't think uh, the church uh, bank balance was going to break because I didn't give my ten percent, uh, which was uh, in most cases used to help the community and pay pastor salaries. Uh, so in the end, I used uh, my money to pay for my uh, my sister, uh, and I've been doing that ever since, and uh, it's worked out quite well actually. Uh, so based off of that, I even decided further on. I have uh, extended family members, uh, you know, some of them single single parents, uh, you know, from yeah, who are quite poor. Uh, so, you know, I work in, uh, you know, social services and education. So I decided that that is where my tithe, if you like, that is where it will go and it will not be going uh, to the church. Uh, so that's where I'm at with that one. In terms of black tax, that's worked out quite well, Um I so I live in the UK and if it went for uh, my mom's um, sisters, I wouldn't be in the UK. Uh, God knows what my life would have turned out like. Um, so it's worked out quite well because uh, so they've spent this money educating me and so on. And in turn, I've been able to do that for, uh, you know, my uh, my sister and other people. Um within the family so I yes it's black tax but there's also the humanity side of things where you do see people suffering and uh, in that moment you are almost the the only savior and I don't think there's anything wrong with that I think where I'm apologies for <laughs> I've got a teenager on TikTok so there we are um so where where it becomes black tax is where there is a an entitlement and it's endless phone calls and 
people do not want to get get off their backside and so on and so on. Um, so yeah, that's the black tax, the African black tax. I uh, don't think I've got anything else to say. Thank you. Thank you, Lady B, for that contribution. Um, uh, very solid take and also very interesting story. Um, I think it's unfortunate that, you know, <laughs> it even has to be a thought, you know, between taking care of your sibling and, you know, uh, giving tax, which are really mostly going into the pockets of the the pastor. Um, I honestly don't think that something like that would even be an issue if we saw more widespread cases of churches giving back to the people, or at least, you know, their members, right, with, you know, things like scholarships or, you know, um, helping, you know, young people in the church or even the elderly, you know, getting vehicles for them or putting that money towards transportation for, you know, and yes, there are churches that do that, but we don't see that to be the overwhelming case, you know, despite the fact that people in the church are giving their last and a lot of church members really don't have uh, that much in the first place. Um, I think conversation about black tax would especially be very different if we just saw reciprocity, you know, um, all around. Somebody was mentioning earlier that sometimes too with family is like, they're ask, it's like they're asking, but they're, they're demanding at the same time. There's a type of entitlement to it, right? Um, there's that expectation that it doesn't matter what you have going on, you know, especially if you're abroad, you need to be giving money. There's also the fact that, you know, you might have some family members who never call or text to check up on you or just to say hi or wish you happy, you know, Merry Christmas or Happy New Year or whatever. But, you know, whenever they hit you up, it's, it's automatically because they want money from you. Um, and, you know, once I'm done with this, I'll let Lady B uh, go because I see she has a hand raised. But I also have a question um, for everyone in here about the other, the flip side of it, right? The emotional currency. When we talk about black tax, um, a lot of people have talked about how they saw their parents really struggling and, and hustling to provide for them. Um, are any of you worried that, you know, in starting your own families or even just now before having your own families that you've worked so hard to take care of things that you've neglected? Uh, your friendships or your relationship with self and other people, uh, you know, because again, there is an emotional, you know, and a mental side to things, relationships between people. Uh, it's not just a financial conversation. So have any of you ever felt like you're on the receiving end of that where, you know, you had family or loved ones who were so concentrated of, on taking care of things financially that you were left neglected emotionally? And have you found yourself on the other side of things where you're you're so... Uh, focused on the hustle that you've neglected people that are close to you. Lady B, you can go ahead. Hi, um, thanks. Uh, I, I just have a question. Um, I'm not sure if this is black tax or whether we can classify it as black tax. So I think I mentioned that um, my 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 experience of, uh, you know, church has been, uh, been in a predominantly white church and so for, for many years, if you like, I was the sort of black face of the church. So obviously that is my, my skills, uh, my knowledge and expertise and so on uh, in terms of, you know, making sure things were running as they, they were. Um, so now that we're talking about black tax, I'm wondering whether, uh, you know, those in the diaspora or... Uh, you know, those um, who are in white churches, have you found that, um, especially with this uh, Black Lives Movement and 
uh, issue of racism that so many churches are are using black people to take boxes, but you never find that uh, you know black people are in leadership positions or um, uh, you know front and center of the church. Uh, they are almost like uh, you know whether it's a supporting pastor or something like that. Could we classify that as a black tax? Um, and uh, I'm saying this because. Um, that, that was my experience. I'm no longer in, in the church. Um, uh, a friend of mine, um, you know, had, uh, so he, I think he's Zambian. Yes, he's Zambian. And uh, so he came to the UK through the church and so on. And um, now he's an atheist. And uh, his reasons were he was uh, tired because he found that he didn't have time for himself. He was expected to perform uh, so many duties, probably they were taxing him because they had helped him through, you know, high school, university and all that kind of stuff. So I'm wondering, is that another black tax that um, black people or African people are experiencing in the diaspora? Thank you. I'm going to jump on that um, and also on the emotional tax piece. Um, you know, I think to me, you know, there, there's all this talk about, you know, what, who, who defines what tax is, what does tax mean to everyone? And so, you know, here I'm sitting, I'm thinking, you know, the, you know, especially from this last question about the, whether that's be, your race is sort of a, a tax in, in some ways. And I say absolutely 100%. I think anything that kind of slows down your own advancement is sort of a tax, right? Um, but the flip side of that, I would like to think, is that, you know, we, we pay taxes, nobody can avoid taxes, but the idea is, the, the hope is that those taxes are towards the betterment of something else, whether it's a person, infrastructure, whatever it might be. So that's the way I like to think about it. And, you know, I as someone who does live in the diaspora, living in New York City, you know, I always find myself in situations and in spaces where I am an, the other, you know, I don't quite fit the mold, whether it's my race, whether it's my age, whether, you know, whatever the circumstance might be. Um, and so navigating those spaces is extremely taxing, both, you know, physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, whatever you want to call it. It's a extreme tax, right? Um, but it's a tax that other people in that space are not even necessarily aware of. They're not cognizant of it, right? Um, and so I'm often thinking about this duality of experience that I'm having living abroad, you know, taking care of family back home, that aspect, which is a very almost monetary tax, but then being taxed emotionally and physically in my current spaces, because yeah, like even if it's not in the church, maybe it's at a job where it's predominantly white people or people from somewhere else that aren't your culture, your ethnicity, what, what it, whatever it might be, you know, you're, you're facing challenges of like, how do I have conversations to, you know, increase my own advancement if uh, I'm not seen as the same caliber as these people, whether it's because of my race or something else. So, you know, it's a challenge. And 
for me personally, at least, and Nosa will know this because we had a chat on his podcast a while back, but um, I, I'm always going to espouse the virtues and, you know, challenge, just throw out the challenge to people that you have to take care of your own mental health, whether that's through therapy or finding just like the people who are true to you, who will always give you sound advice, who will always support you and have your back. Um, because, you know, while you're in this position of taking care of everyone else, who's taking care of you, whether it's financially, whether it's emotionally, you, who's taking care of you? And if you look around and you don't see anybody, then that's a problem and you need to switch up the situation. You need to put up more uh, you know, guardrails to protect yourself while trying your best to still take care of your obligations and whatnot. But at the end of the day, if you are so taxed that you have nothing left, then you can't help other people. You know the saying, you have to help yourself before you help others. And in the religious community, you know, God helps those who help themselves. So it's all interconnected. And I think people just need to have a come to Jesus moment, if you will, <laughs> about, you know, what do I need in this situation? And I know a lot of us are sort of uh, shackled by our upbringings and our cultural and traditional obligations and responsibilities but we're having these conversations now and every new generation does something a little bit differently so now's the time to start to you know just because we've been doing it in the past doesn't mean that we need to keep doing it so i said my piece i'll leave it there uh thank you thank you so much rich and i think you and uh lady b uh touched on diaspora and i know that uh, black tech is not just all about you know people in the diaspora sending money home uh, people back on the continent also are faced with these challenges as well but there's something a question i want to ask relating specifically to the diaspora so um, in nigeria where i'm from there's this whole movement called the jackpa movement right so jackpa i think is yoruba for to run or to go. So, you know, we use it as a colloquialism for people who are like, kind of like leaving the brain drain, leaving Nigeria and going to different countries in search for greener pastures, right? And there's this expectation, right, from those people who leave, you know, before they even leave that, hey, you know, um, there are some countries that require, you know, invitation letters like Canada and all that. And then when they get abroad, you know, they want to, you know, connect with family as like most of us did, you know, that, oh, you know, you need someone to help you navigate. Maybe you stay with an uncle or a brother or, or a friend for the first month or two, you know, they, they teach you how the system works. They, they, they walk you to go, go get to your first McDonald's before you eventually get a job or go to school to stand on your feet and all that. Um, but there are also stories of people being stranded, right? That, hey, you know, you're abroad now. I'm not responsible for you here. Everyone fights on their own. So speaking to that specific situation for people who emigrated from their countries to a different country, what was your experience uh, trying to connect with family? Were they helpful when you landed abroad or people who are abroad? Have you been of help to people trying to relocate that type of thing? Uh, uh, if anyone can touch on that as well. Uh, you know, personally, I've uh, I think I've benefited from a kind of uh, black tax, uh, even though I, I never really thought about it in the same way. But um, my my mom, 
you know, when she was a lot younger, they, you know, they grew up in the village and everything. And, you know, she ended up being the one who was able to like go abroad. And um, she came to the States and, you know, in, in, in doing that, she was able to send for my uncle, her younger brother, um, you know, brought him here for school and everything. And he got a job, ended up getting married. And, you know, he has kids now, you know, my cousins. Um, and when I left Nigeria after graduating from secondary school, uh, it was his place that, you know, I ended up coming to and, you know, he and his wife housed me and, you know, kind of took care of me as I was younger. Of course, I reciprocated that by, you know, doing chores around the house, garbage, dishes, you know, cleaning and all kinds of stuff and, you know, that kind of thing. Um, but I benefited from the black tax in that way and the black tax that, like, I guess started way before I was born, before I even came into the picture, um, as a way of, like, I guess, paying back and not in a forceful way either, but, you know, just giving back to my mom for what she did for him. Um, you know, my uncle opened his doors for me here. And the reason why he's he's here in the first place is because of what my mom did. And if you ask my mom, my mom probably say it was her, it was her mother, my grandma, who, you know, paid the black tax for her. Because my mom tells me stories about how her mom sold her bicycle. Bicycles were a big deal back in the day. Uh, I guess they were like BMWs or something in the village. And my grandma... Uh, sold her bicycle to pay for my mom's school fees, you know, which all paid out. Um, so there is that plus side to it that is not so weighted and, and negative in that sense where, you know, it's just like people, look, family looking out for each other and, um, you know, just passing it along, you know, as as uh, as we like to say it, and making sure that we're also taking care of other people because we wouldn't be where we are without uh, that help. The place where I have a problem is the is the predatory aspect of those things where, you know, and I thought I used to think this was something specific to Nigeria, but I've learned it happens in other African countries too, where you have people who are trying to build something for their family back home and they're sending money to their brothers or family members to say, hey, you know, help me do this. And then, you know, after like five, ten years, they come back and the house that they thought was built is not there, you know, because somebody has run away with the money and that kind of thing. Um, so in every kind of dynamic, there are always people that are going to look to exploit it and take advantage of it. But again, there are those stories, um, which I'm, I'm an example of where, you know, you see black tax working in favor of like, not just one or two people, but like, you know, a following generation. Thank you for that contribution. I see, uh, Adeni just joined. Uh, we will be winding down in about 15 minutes or so. Um, so we kicked off the conversation 12.15 Eastern, 6.15 Central African time. And it is coming, um, it is approaching about 2 p.m. Eastern or 8 p.m. So we want to wrap up in exactly two hours. So in about 15 minutes. So if you haven't had the chance to speak, I see BDME is back. Uh, Pro uh, Rebellion, Rara Mo, I know you're in a place with bad connections, so you can always DM your questions or your contributions. If you hadn't had a chance to speak, we'll be winding down in 15 minutes. We're here talking about black tax, um, about, you know, um, the context of black tax, your introduction to black tax. We talked about religious tax. We talked about how black tax affects relationships between men and women in dating and marriage. Uh, we talked about a whole bunch of things. And, you know, as we're winding down, if anyone has their final thoughts 
I'd really love for someone to give a, a good example of black tax. Like, hey, they knew this person when the person was this age, they helped the person with X, Y, and Z, maybe sent them to school, sent them money, and that person came back years later and made them proud and have built something for themselves. I really, you know, we've heard a lot of interesting stories, but it can't be all negative, right? There has to be one or two silver linings here and there. So if anyone has those stories, uh, please share. If not, uh, you can contribute. I see Pro, you're raising up your hand. I'll give you the floor as we wind down in 15 minutes. Go ahead. Hey, guys. Uh, sorry I'm driving. If it's a bit noisy, just let me know. Um, so um, I have a question. Okay, basically, I live in Canada, and I have my family back in South Africa. Um, so... I mean, in terms of black tax, uh, I do understand that I have to uh, support my family back home and all of that, and um, whenever they need. Um, but uh, I think uh, my challenge is that <clears throat> when you support, you kind of like expect that uh, people will uh, maybe kind of like not show too much of appreciation, but uh, meet you halfway in a way that they will uh, be um, your moral support. Because, you know, when you are living abroad, maybe you're here with your family, with your wife and kids, and you do sometimes need uh, to take time off and travel. You need your family to maybe come and take care of your kids and all of that. So um, how, in my situation, I don't get that. So um, I do support, I do send money back home. And uh, when I'm requesting my family to come by and they just be a, a support like uh, family and, um, and, uh, and take care of my kids sometimes when I need to travel, it doesn't happen. Um, Every time I ask them to come over and, and support me with that, they they don't show up, they don't come. And, um, so I don't know if you guys have experienced something like that when you can give the money but you're not receiving uh, a moral support then they from your family. And how do you deal with that if it happens to you? Uh, yeah, it was a little hard to hear you, but if I if I heard your question correctly, I think you said you had supported some people, and when you expect them to pay it forward, they do not reciprocate. I think that was your question. I, I don't know if anyone else yeah, that's, heard. That's, that's what he was saying. He was basically saying, you know, he's okay. his family financially and stuff, and then when he needs help watching his kids or you know some other ways, you know, they never. Ah, show. that's a very good question. Anyone wants? Uh, Hop on stage and speak to that. Uh, I can go ahead and speak on that real quick. The thing with giving in, in general is one. Okay, so firstly, in this dynamic, I have to say sometimes people think that it's uh, it's immoral to to give with some kind of expectation, um, and that's not necessarily true. In fact, sometimes in these dynamics, it's okay to give in a transactional sense. You know. Uh, putting it out there that, hey, you know, I'm giving because I can, but at the same time, you know, I do expect some kind of reciprocity or, you know, when I do need help, you know, I, I will need you to come through for me um, as a result. But people are too afraid to do that because they feel like it's not proper or, you know, that kind of thing. 
Um, on the other hand, too, there's a part of giving where it's like when you're giving, you have to understand that sometimes. I also have a kid over here, guys. So, um, But it's one of those things where you have to understand that when you give, sometimes you will not get that put back into you. You know, and at that point in time, you have to ask yourself and make that decision if you want to keep giving. You know, there's also the part of the conversation where you have to understand that if you're going to give or do something for people, you should do it because that's what you want to do and not because, you know, uh, you're anticipating the way that they'll respond or do something back for you. Uh, because if that was the way we went about living life, I think a lot of us would just not give at all uh, because human beings can be very funny in that way. Um, it is unfortunate that, again, that's that predatory part of the conversation that we're having where people are asking and asking and asking. They have no problem asking. But when you need them to do something, not even in a financial favor, just to show up for you and you know help you take care of something, they don't even show up. Um, and maybe that's why you start putting that money that you're giving them into, uh, I don't know, like an actual babysitter or somebody who <laughs> who understands, you know, who understands the relationship and, you know, will actually show up in that capacity. But it is unfortunate. I think when we talk about black tax, I think most of the cases are kind of like yours, where, you know, people are giving to family members and loved ones, and those people never actually show up for them. And it's a, it's an unfortunate reality, but it is what it is. Fact, fact. Let me throw out a question to kind of encourage people to contribute. What do you guys think is the... HQ, the headquarters for Black Tax. Where do you think the Black Tax International Office is located? Is it Facebook DMs? Is it WhatsApp? Is it Instagram DMs? Or is it uh, emails or some other? Where is the Black Tax Office in your situation? Facebook. (laughs) Shout out Facebook. Everyone's WhatsApp here is clean. No one gets uh, taxed on Twitter or Snapchat, maybe, <laughs> or some no. other form. The, the the WhatsApp the WhatsApp group and family chats are are the things that I dread the most. I, I you know sometimes you just have to turn off the notifications or mute the conversation. Facts. Good to know. Good to know. Okay, uh, we might wind down a little earlier. Um, Again, if anyone has any conversations, I guess one more question, my last question, uh, and then maybe everyone can go around and and give their comments and and say their goodbyes or whatnot, is um, I guess some of us are still paying black tax. You know, um, some people uh, might probably pay black tax till they die, unfortunately. But has anyone successfully wiggled their way from black tax like you might not be able to get away from everyone who's requesting for something for you but maybe you've wiggled away from one or two or three people how did you do it did you just get fed up did you ghost them did you scream at them and say stop asking me did you report them to the the elders and say look i've done enough for this individual tell him to stop like what are some ideas you can give to other people who are trying to wiggle their way out of at least reduce the burden, like this without some people that they've been helping over the years. Uh, maybe they can get some ideas from you guys. Okay. If there's something that I've realized is that uh, once you are in it, you cannot get out of it. Um, I said earlier that it's more of impose on us than we would actually want to do it. If I want to help a few family members, 
depending on my financial capacity, I would really love to do it. But then it doesn't mean that everybody who is in need of money has to come to me. So it's so hard to get out of it. Um, I'm actually uh, going through it as well. But then I think I've learned to say no to certain people. Um, I remember listening to Jay-Z where he was talking about how he became a billionaire and stuff like that. He gave out a point. You know, certain family members take advantage of you just because you are in a certain position where you can help them by just um, lifting your finger. Um, if you want to come to me and say, uh, I need this much money, what you going to do it for? How am I, how am I sure you're not going to come back for more? So he was saying, he, he put out a point to say, we should um, embrace um, inculcating financial literacy in them to say, hey, you need this much. What I'm going to do for me to help you with this much, I want you to prove to me that you have a concrete a business plan that you want to do, that you want to start up, that you want to invest in, then I'll come in and help. So I think I took up that concept, even for me, for me to help somebody just by helping them. You know, giving somebody money, uh, like alms every time, it gets tiring. And when you're not seeing progression, it's really draining for you as a person who is helping the other person. So I feel if you have to if you are in a position to help others, I think we should always, always preach about financial literacy and how we can help them if it's a business idea they have, help them do the research, uh, if we're in a position to, so that we don't keep on uh, giving them money each and every time. Every time they need help, they will come through to you. I think we can also break those generational curse, uh, I would say, because I feel if, in as much as there are, uh, there's a good side of black ducks, I would love to say 65% or 70% of it is always the negative side because a person is mentally drained. You have the whole world on your shoulders. You have people looking um, up to you. And then you have people that you are looking after. Not that you want to do it. Certain times we're not in a position to say, hey, I want to be uh, the person to look after everybody i also want to do certain things of my own i would want to own a range rover one day i would want to get a customized uh rose royce uh but then yeah i have to put my needs aside for you so if you're gonna come to me you need help as a younger person as your peer i want you to come to you and tell me i want to do this and this money that i'm getting from you is going to yield this much so I think those are the solutions we can try to also um, look into. Thank you very much. Yeah, I'm going to hop on that and just add a little bit more because I think that's absolutely right. Um, you know, I think we have where we, we struggle with, you know, how to properly communicate our needs when it comes to situations like that. And, you know, that struggle can come as a result of, you know, a whole bunch of different things, whether it's like the traditional makeup, whether it's the obligations, 
you know, for instance, you know, you might not be able to feel like you can say no to your parents, for example. Um, so then how do you navigate those situations? And, you know, I think a lot of it comes down to, you know, starting to foster healthier relationships with people uh, that we are helping. Um, and it's about having the real conversation about, okay, I could do this for you. And it's not always monetary. It could be, you know, just demanding or asking of your time as well, but that's a resource. And so you have to be able to communicate, okay, I could do this for you, but you need to realize what it's going to cost me, whether it's costing me money, whether it's costing me time, because, you know, me doing this for you or, you know, being, uh, spending my time with you to do this thing is taking away time from me doing this other thing that is just as important. So, you know, I'll, I'll give it back to you. Do you honestly think that I should prioritize this desire of yours or this need of yours over this other important thing or these other important things that I'm trying to do as well? You know, for me personally, you know, I just, we just had a kid. And so he's almost two years old now, you know, I'm thinking about his education, his schooling, you know, meanwhile, I've got grown adults talking to me on the side about, oh, you know, could you help me with this? Could you help me with that? And I go, okay, so you want me to take the money I'm setting aside for my kid and give that to you? How are you going to pay that back? Or how are you going to Prove to me that this is a worthwhile investment of my time or my money with you versus my child. So it's it's really feeling like you have this, the power to have the, the real conversations about what is the real cost of being the person that everyone goes to for this help. That's a good one. Thank you so much. And uh, let me see one more last chance if anyone else wants to speak before I wrap this up. All right. So thank you, everyone. Again, this was a collaborative session. I think we're coming to uh, 2.15 Eastern time. So uh, three minutes to go. I'll just wind down. Uh, this was a collaborative session between Podbreak, which is a collective of African podcasters in the diaspora, and the Zambian Podcasters Hub, which is a collective of Zambian podcasters on the continent and in the diaspora. So uh, we will try to hold more and more of these sessions talking about topics relating to Africans uh, in the future uh, in collaboration with other uh, African organizations. If you're a member of an African organization, it doesn't have to be a podcasting organization and you feel like uh, you want to collaborate with us in a certain way, uh, most of us here are podcasters, so we have various platforms. Uh, I can speak for Podbreak, for instance. It's a collection of about 21 or 22 podcasters now um, in various countries, mostly in North America. Uh, we'll be happy to have that conversation. Uh, please follow Zambian Podcasters Hub. They're right here. You can just click on their image and follow them. Also click on the Podbreak uh, avatar and follow us as well. You can find us on Instagram too at pod.break or go to our website is podbreak.org. Uh, we're working on revamping that website pretty soon, but it's podbreak.org. Thank you everyone again for showing up and we wish you guys a good rest of your weekend.
black tax might not be totally eradicated in our generation, but how can we set a good precedence and minimize the negative impact on our lives? That's the question. So thank you, everyone. Have a good Sunday. Bye-bye.